What a great joy to be here today, um, to stand here uh, in this uh, place with the honor of um, filling this pulpit. Uh, for those of you who were expecting Brian today, I'm sorry that you uh, have, have to uh, listen to the B team today, the junior varsity, the JV, but um, next week the, um, the big dog will be back and, and you'll be able to hear him. But uh, he has so graciously uh, allowed me this privilege, and I want to thank him for it. Um, and I want to thank you, uh, church, for uh, your support of me and the uh, ministry that, uh, that God's called me to in these days. I want to ask you a question uh, before I preach today, and I, I'm, I'm not here to belabor uh, this ministry that I'm in. Uh, I'm, I am here today as uh, uh, gratefully, I'm grateful to God that He's given this ministry to me, but I'm not going to talk about it, uh, but just a moment. And then I'm going to talk about Jesus, and that's why I come to preach to you. But um, I, I want you to think back three years ago. I know that you love your pastor, and you're glad he's here. But I want you to think back to three years ago when you were without a pastor. And think back to the process that was going on at that time. You had a search team that was charged with the responsibility of going out and discovering the, the right man for the job to fill this pulpit and be the pastor. And um, imagine that that team had brought Brian's name to you just as they did and uh, had given you a, uh, an overview of, his, of who he is and how, uh, how he has had arrived to that point. And you looked and you saw that here was a man of God who loved Jesus, he believed the Bible, he preached the Word, he had, some, had uh, a few years of experience in ministry, and um, he uh, could, uh, ha was sincere and committed in his desire to follow God and obey God's will for his life. And he had only achieved an eighth grade education. As, that's as far as he got in school. Well, my question to you is, honestly now, honest, would he be your pastor? Or would you have looked at that resume and seen all that good stuff, but then you would have said, you know, good guy, handsome, cute, you know, great personality. But he's just not qualified to be our pastor. We need someone a little more sophisticated than just with an eighth grade education. Would that have been the scenario? Well, this is the scenario with the overwhelming majority of all the churches in southern and eastern Africa. The average level of education for men and women in that area of the world is between the fifth and sixth grade. And that includes most of the pastors who pastor churches, Bible-believing, Christ-honoring churches in Africa. Wayne Dorset Ministries uh, was formed because of that. All over the world, there are millions of believers in thousands of churches who are being led by pastors who are just as God called, just as God ordained as I am or Brian is or any other pastor here in America, and yet they have very little, if any, formal theological or Bible training. God called me into this ministry and led me to form this ministry and to, to develop the Heart for Pastors seminar 
so that I could train and equip and mentor untrained pastors in developing nations. We seek to do this by teaching them basic pastoral skills, such as how to develop and deliver a Bible message. Those men are expected to preach every week two or three times, just like you expect your pastor, and yet they have never been taught how to preach, how to study, how to put together a message, and how to deliver it. Most of those pastors will preach on Sunday what they've heard another pastor preach on the radio sometime during the week, or have watched it on television. So we teach them about how to deliver and develop and deliver a Bible message. We talk to them about how to properly interpret the Scripture. When a man stands and preaches, and in just a minute I'm going to share with you some conclusions that I have arrived at through my study of the Word through proper principles of Bible interpretation. How do you know that what I'm going to share with you today are the right conclusions? Well, you have to check it out with the Word yourself. But I've sought to use the proper principles of Scripture interpretation so that I don't arrive at a conclusion that goes off the grid somewhere. We also teach them how to understand about understanding essential Christian doctrine, making certain that their doctrine, what they believe, is not just what I believe, Not just what Baptists believe, but what they believe and what they teach their people is what the Bible teaches us. And then also, I try to share with them uh, the biblical marks of a healthy church, uh, the New Testament characteristics of a healthy church, and encourage them to build those things into their their ministries so that they can feel confident that what they're building will be healthy and will be able to survive uh, in this world. In 2 Timothy 2.2, the Apostle Paul says this, The things which you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. There you have four generations. The Apostle Paul, the things you've heard from me, Timothy, the things you, Timothy, have heard from me. Then you have faithful men. These things entrust to faithful men, and then you have others, that they may teach others also. Four generations of of, uh, disciples in that one verse. And that's what God has called and put in, called me to do and put in my heart in this ministry. It's a very simple principle. If you invest in a pastor, you will impact a church. When you impact a church, you will influence a community. And if you influence enough communities, you might very well change a culture. When I go to Africa or India to train pastors, I have to provide all of the funding for the event. These pastors that I go to have no ability at all to pay for this training. This ministry depends on churches and believers like you who would see the vision and embrace it and then invest in it financially, as God leads you. And again, I thank you as a a, a church that you have seen fit to include me in your missions budget. This is a great honor for me, and I am grateful to you for it. Today, the most important thing you can do for me is to pray. Pray that God will open doors of opportunity for me and that also He'll provide the resources that are necessary to help these faithful pastors all over the world. And I'm also asking 
that you considered the possibility of partnering with me individually in this ministry of helping untrained pastors. As Brian has said, there are some brochures about my ministry that are scattered about here and there. These can give you more information than, than I have today and help you understand a little better about what we're trying to do, provide details of the ministry, and then instruct you as to how you can invest in it. If you'll share your contact information with me through these these uh, brochures, uh, I, I, I'll put you on our mailing list so that you can uh, you don't have to give anything, but you can keep up with what we're doing and you can pray for us. So, again, thank you for uh, the interest you might show. Thank you for the privilege that I have of standing here and sharing this with you. Now, I want to get to the Word. This is where I'm, I'm more comfortable. Didn't mean to litter here. Um, in your Bible, turn in the Old Testament to Second Chronicles and the 14th chapter. Second Chronicles chapter 14. I want to share with you a word today, I hope of encouragement, but also a word that will help you as you face the most difficult challenges of your life. These are words that God has used in my life in these past months, and I want to share them with you. So in Second Chronicles chapter 14 in your Old Testament, uh, we'll read verses 1 through 13. So if you are able to do so, would you stand to honor God's Word as we read it out loud? Chapter 14 of 2 Chronicles, beginning with verse 1. So Abijah slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David. And his son Asa became king in his place. The land was undisturbed for ten years during his days. And Asa did good and right in the sight of the Lord his God. For he removed the foreign altars in high places, tore down the sacred pillars, and cut down the ashram, and commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to observe the law and the commandment. He also removed the high places and the incense altars from all the cities of Judah, and the kingdom was undisturbed under him. And he built fortified cities in Judah, since the land was undisturbed, and there was no one at war with him during those years, because the Lord had given him rest. For he, that is Asa, said to Judah, let us build these cities and surround them with walls and towers, gates and bars. The land is still ours, because we have sought the Lord our God. We have sought Him, and He has given us rest on every side. So they built, and they prospered. Now Asa had an army of 300,000 from Judah, bearing uh, large shields and spears, and 280,000 from Benjamin, bearing shields and wielding bows, all of them valiant warriors. Now Zerah, the Ethiopian, came out against them with an army of a million men and 300 chariots. And he came to Marishah. So Asa went out to meet him. and They drew up in battle formation in the valley of Zephathah at Marishah. Then Asa called to the Lord his God and said, Lord, there is no one besides you to help us in the battle between the powerful and those who have no strength. So help us, O Lord, our God, for we trust in you, and in your name have come against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Let not man prevail against you. So the Lord routed the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. And Asa and the people who were 
with him pursued them as far as Gerar. And so many Ethiopians fell that they could not recover, for they were shattered before the Lord and before his army. And they, that is Israel, they carried away very much plunder. Now let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we call on you and ask you to speak to us by your word today, through your spirit, into our hearts, our spirits, so that we would obey and follow you. Lord, I agree with my brother just a little while ago as we were singing. Make this word that was written so long ago, make it relevant to us in our lives today. And we'll give you praise and honor for what you do in this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated. In these verses, we have the story of Asa, the son of Abijah and the king of Judah. He was the king of Judah for 41 years. He served, reigned from 911 to 870 B.C. He was the third king of Judah that came after the separation of Israel into two kingdoms, a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. This event in Asa's life tells us that we can face our greatest challenges with overcoming power. You can, cha- can face your greatest challenge in life with overcoming power. And I want to just look at this story in detail today and share with you four wonderful spiritual truths that just kind of um, bubble up from these verses and help us understand how we can do this very thing, face our challenges with power and with victory. So let's look at them together. The first spiritual truth that I want to encourage you with today is is this. When you and I serve the Lord with all our heart, He blesses us beyond measure. Aren't you glad that I can start today with a positive note? I mean, it's not negative. It's not just telling you how bad you are or how hopeless things are in your life. Listen, when we serve God, we have a God that we serve today. And when we serve Him with all our heart, He blesses us beyond our wildest dreams. He blesses us beyond measure. And that's what God does. How? did Asa demonstrate this kind of commitment that would bring the blessing of God? Well, I want you to notice a couple of things. First of all, Asa gave his whole heart to God. He gave his whole heart. Look at verse 2. Asa did good and right in the sight of the Lord his God. Now, what does that mean? Uh, That sounds good, but what does it mean? To do good and right in the sight of the Lord means this. It means to always seek to please God and to honor God and to obey Him in your life. To do that in your life which would please Him, which would honor Him, and which would allow you and lead you to obey Him every moment of your life. And as you seek in your life to do those three things, then that means that you have a level of commitment to God that He can bless and that He can honor. In 1 Kings chapter 15 and verse 14, the Bible says this about Asa. The heart of Asa was wholly devoted to the Lord all his days. Wholly devoted. Does that describe your heart today? Does your heart... Is your heart wholly devoted to the Lord? Now, I want you to contrast King Asa with King Amaziah. Now, King Amaziah came after Asa. You'll find the story of Amaziah in chapter 25 of uh, 2 Chronicles. And listen to what the Bible says about King Amaziah in 2 Chronicles chapter 25 and verse 2. It says, He did right in the sight of the Lord, yet 
not with a whole heart. Which is it with you today? The difference between doing what is right in the sight of the Lord in your life and not doing it is giving Him your whole heart. That's the difference. Do you have an attitude in your life today? Well, let's just, let's, let's eliminate today. Today's Sunday. We, we're expected to, to be that way on Sunday, aren't we? Let's talk about tomorrow. Tomorrow's Monday. It'll be Monday all day long, won't it? On Monday. Is your heart going to be given wholly to the Lord tomorrow? Are you going to enter into that day with an attitude that says, God, you've got me 100%. No holding back. Whatever you want, you've got it from me. That's what Asa did, and that's what, what allowed God to bless him. And that's how God will bless you in your life when you give him your whole heart. Second, though, Asa, the Bible says here, Asa removed anything that rivaled God. Look in verse 3. The Bible says he removed the foreign altars in high places and he tore down the sacred pillars and cut down the ashram. Then look in verse 5. He also removed the high places and incense altars from all the cities of Judah. This word ashram, A-S-H-E-R-I-M, that is a, the plural form of a formal name, the name Asherah, A-S-H-E-R-A-H. Asherah was supposedly the wife of Baal, who was the pagan god of the Canaanites. And the people of Israel had gotten so much of Canaan into their lives and hearts that they began to worship and participate in worship of this pagan god. This word was also used, ashram, was also used to refer to, to wooden idols and, and uh, wooden poles that were set up as instruments of worship in that pagan uh, religion. So Asa was trying to, to get rid of all this stuff. In other words, Asa was trying to remove from the people anything that rivaled God in Israel. And dear friend, listen. The first commandment in the Ten Commandments, and I know there are a lot of people that think the commandments are irrelevant. I don't happen to be one of them. The first commandment says this, you'll have no other gods before me. Now, I know that was written to the Jews in uh, the Old Testament, but I believe it's applicable to us today to not have any god other than the Lord Jehovah, our God and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. No other gods. Did you know what Jesus said in Matthew twenty two thirty seven? He said, you shall love the Lord your God. This is the greatest commandment. He said, love God with all your heart. All your heart. Make God the chief attention of your love and affection. There must be no rival for Jesus in our affection and in our attention uh, every day as his followers. I want to ask you a question. What is it in your life that every day steals away the affection and attention that is reserved for Jesus Christ alone in your life? What is it that comes and, and distracts you from giving to Jesus the affection and the attention that belongs to him. Asa was blessed by God because he removed anything that was a rival to God in Israel. And you and I will be blessed when we seek with our lives to remove everything from our lives that is, that is trying to take the place of the worship of God in our lives. Number three, Asa was blessed because he led the people of Israel, the people of Judah, that is, to seek and obey God. Look at verse four. He commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and observe the law 
uh, and the commandment. You know, God always honors it in our lives when we seek to obey Him. When we seek to make obedience to the Word of God a priority in our lives, God will always honor that in His children's lives. As a matter of fact, in James chapter 1 and verse 25, the Bible says, But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, a doer of the word, this one will be blessed in what he does. God blesses an attitude that seeks to be obedient to his word in their life. Tell me, do you have an attitude of obedience toward God's word? Is it your desire every single day to see what God has to say to you from his word and then seek to make that a part of your life? To apply it to you, to obey it when God says it? This is how God blesses us. When we serve him with all our heart, when we remove every rival, when we seek to obey Him, then God will bless us, just like He blessed Asa. But I want to move to the second spiritual truth today because this one's important. Well, they're all important, and they build on one another. The second spiritual truth is this. We need to take advantage of the times when we have rest from our, our spiritual conflicts to strengthen and fortify our lives, take advantage of our times of spiritual rest. Now, did you know that God honored Asa's commitment in many ways, but one way that he honored his commitment was that he gave him a period of rest from conflict. You see it said there four times in four different verses. Verses 1, verse 5, 6, and 7 Four different times that the land had rest. There was not conflict in his day. God gave Judah and he gave Asa and he gave the land rest from, from conflict. Sometimes God's blessing involves freedom from trial and spiritual battle. In other words, peace and blessing. Now I know what you're saying. You're saying, well, I, I wish I'd could discover where that is. I'd like to have some of those times in my life. We all would. And whether you know it or not, you do have those times in your life. There are times when there, it, when there are no overwhelming conflicts where you're not confronted with, with uh, um, unbearable uh, burdens and, and spiritual battles that you're moving along at a pretty good clip and things are going well and you're experiencing the blessing of God. We all like those times. We all want those times when we have rest. But listen closely. Oftentimes we fail to remember a very significant spiritual principle. Here it is. You may want to write this down. It is harder to stay disciplined and faithful to Jesus in times of blessing than it is in times of trial. It is more difficult for you to stay focused spiritually. It is more difficult for you to be disciplined in your walk with Jesus when things are going good than it is when things are going bad. When things start to unravel in your life, that's when you get on your knees and cry out to God the loudest. That's when you say, man, I, I need to make some adjustments in my life to get this load off my shoulders. I need to, to do something to get to tone down the heat of this fire. I, I, oh, Lord, tell me, show me what to do. I'll do anything to escape this. But when things are going well, a lot of times we just tend to forget where we are. We just move along and, and we're, we got this thing down pretty pat, don't we? We, we, we can handle this. And we move on and we start to forget our daily walk with God, our, our daily quiet time. We forget our, our times in which we need to pray, in which we need to cry out to God and, and have that personal worship time. It is more difficult 
for you and me to stay focused in times of, uh, spiritually focused, that is, in times of blessing than it is in times of trial. In times of spiritual rest, our tendency is to get lazy and careless in our spiritual life. But that's not what happened with Asa. Asa took the opportunity of the rest to build up and fortify Israel. Look in verse 6, it says, And he built. Look in verse 7, it says, For he said to Judah, Let us build. And then it goes on to say, So they built and prospered. We need to take advantage of the times of spiritual rest in our lives to build ourselves up and strengthen our faith. You know, the Bible uh, is pretty clear about our need to strengthen our faith and build up our faith. In Colossians 2 and verse 7, the Bible says we should be firmly rooted and built up in Him and established in our faith. In Ephesians 3, in verse 16, the Apostle Paul says, he prays that God would grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner man. In Ephesians chapter 6, in verse 10, Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. In Judah, Jude, in verse 20, the Bible says, that we need to build ourselves up in our most holy faith. We had better strengthen ourselves. We had better fortify ourselves in those times when the battle dies down a little bit in our lives, when the heat uh, comes down and it's not as hot, when the trial doesn't seem to be as difficult. We had better strengthen our lives in those times of rest, because I want you to know the conflict is sure to find you again. You'll enter into another battle, and when you're not strengthened and fortified, you won't be prepared. And that may be the battle that you lose, and that may be the battle that is the primary battle of your life. There's no telling how many Christian men... And men that I know and pastors that I know who have not taken the opportunity to strengthen and fortify themselves in times of blessing in their lives. The churches are going great. They've got notoriety. They're they're, uh, writing books, building buildings, uh, having TV shows and radio programs and having all kinds of notoriety in their lives and Man, they think everything's going well and they forget to fortify and strengthen themselves and then the battle comes. The temptation comes. It's a sneak attack. It's, it's uh, the enemy coming from a direction that you never would have thought he did or he would. And I've seen so many of my contemporaries bite the dust because they weren't prepared for the attack. They weren't prepared for the battle. They had it going good. They just lost focus. Dear friend, listen. You better take advantage of the times of spiritual rest in your life to strengthen yourself spiritually because the battle will surely find you once again. The third spiritual truth that comes out of this verse, these verses, is this. This is, I'm telling you, it's important for you to, to listen. Pay attention to this. Don't miss it. No matter how strong you think you are, you are never strong enough. No matter how strong you think you are spiritually, you are never strong enough when the enemy comes. Verses 8 and 11, 8 through 11, are the account of when the enemy comes into uh, Judah. The result of Asa's building and fortifying Israel was tremendous. I mean, notice that. In verse 8, it says that Judah had an army of 580,000 men. And these weren't just any men. These were valiant warriors. These were the best of the best. But Zerah, the Ethiopian, 
had an army of a million men and 300 chariots. I want to give you a little perspective on that. The total number of United States military active duty personnel as of September of 2014 was a little more than 1.4 million. The entire or the entirety of the United States active duty military was 1.4 million just last year and this Ethiopian king had an army of a million men. And they had 300 chariots. That's like saying they had 300 tanks. This was not just a formidable foe. This was an invincible foe, and Asa knew it. This is a valuable lesson for us to learn. Our greatest enemy, our greatest enemy is King Self. King Self is your greatest enemy, and you cannot defeat him. Dear friend, listen, you will never be able to be strong enough in your own ability, your own wisdom, your own uh, uh, resources. You'll never be able to defeat King Self. I want to give you another example of another king. His name was Uzziah. You've heard of Uzziah, haven't you? If you've ever read the book of Isaiah very much, you've heard of Uzziah. You remember Isaiah in, in Isaiah chapter 6 says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Uzziah was a king of Israel. And he was a godly man. And he was a man who God blessed abundantly. But, but, listen, when it came to dealing with his success, when it came to dealing with his pride, when it came to dealing with his self-life, he was a miserable failure. Listen to what the Bible says in 2 Chronicles chapter 26 and verses 15 and 16. Uzziah was marvelously helped until he was strong. But when he became strong, his heart was so proud that he acted corruptly and he was unfaithful to the Lord. Listen, no, longer how, no matter how strong you may be, you cannot match up with King Self. You will always lose if you walk into the ring with King Self just on your own. Self will always come at us with an army that we can't deny. He'll use weapons we can't defeat. And he'll have a battle plan you can't defend. So how did Asa, as he looked at this enemy, how did Asa respond? I'll tell you how he responded. He responded the same way you and I need to respond when we get up every morning and we look out uh, from our, uh, on our spiritual horizon and we see King Self coming. Here's how you need to respond. Number one, Asa responded with dependence. Look, in verse 8 it says, or verse 11, it says, Asa called on the name of his God. I tell you, we spend too much time in our lives calling on other names than the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. We call on our human wisdom. We call on our intelligence. We call on our experience. We call on our resources. But there has to be a time in your life and in my life when we recognize that our only hope is in Jesus Christ. Our only hope is in His strength. And there's got to come a time in your life where you begin to cast yourself in utter dependence on Him each and every day. Dependence. Tell me, have you called on His name yet today? Have you... uh, well, as Sunday preacher, you know, we don't need the Lord as much on Sunday. We're going to be at church. <sighs> Please don't think that. Have you called on the name of the Lord today? Do you know what Psalm 18 or Proverbs 18.10 says? Proverbs 18.10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous runs into it and is safe. He called on the name of the Lord. Dependence. Secondly, 
uh, Asa responded with humility. Look at verse 11. He said, there is no one besides you to help in the battle between the powerful and those who have no strength. Look at that amazing humility. Uh, Asa had an army of 580,000 valiant warriors. He could have trusted in that. You know, this was, after all, the army of God. This was, after all, the people of the Lord. He was the king of Judah. He could have strutted out to the battlefield and said, you know, we can take a million men with 580,000, us and the Lord, any old day. Is that how you've ever approached your life? Well, me and the Lord, we're a majority. I, I, can, take, I can take anybody or anything in my life, just me and Jesus. That's all we need. I'll tell you, you've got to be careful. And I'm not denying that. I agree with that. But you better be careful about the pride and the ego that sneaks into that. I tell you, I, Jesus don't need me for anything. I don't ever say to him, Jesus, it's just you and me today and we can handle anything that comes around. No, sir. It's got to be him and him alone. And I need to get out of the way. This humility. Humility is necessary for a successful Christian life. Humility comes when you see God for who he really is. You see God for who He really is, and then in light of who He is, you see yourself for who you really are. If you want an example of that, <clears throat> sometime go to Isaiah chapter 6, as I've mentioned before, and see what he said. Isaiah said, in the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord. He saw God for who He really was. He said He was high and lifted up, seated on a throne. And then later on, after uh, 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 Isaiah saw God for who He really was, He saw Himself for who He was in light of who God was. And that's when He said, oh, woe is me, for I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. I, I'm unclean. All I can see about me when I look at God is my uncleanness and my unworthiness. I, I tell you, that's humility. Have you gotten humble before God today yet? Has there been a time today yet? I mean, look, folks, I, I, know, I know what time it is. I'm looking at my watch. It don't matter. You, those of you who know me know it don't matter much what, if I look at my watch, but... I know what time it is. It's almost noon. Have you let the day go half by and not gotten humble before God yet? You will be able to overcome the enemy when you face the enemy like Asa did. And Asa faced him with dependence. And Asa faced him with utter humility. He saw God for who God really is. And in light of who God was, he saw himself for who he was. And that's how he could say, even with 580,000 men behind him, that's why he could say, oh Lord, there's none but you to help us in this battle between the strong, those Ethiopians. And we who have no strength, Humility. He also faced this enemy with faith. Look again in verse 11. He says, we trust in you. That word trust means to lean upon someone or something for support. To rely upon something. It literally, in the Hebrew word, it literally means it paints a picture to roll yourself or roll something over on top of another. This is what you would do if you could, could not walk and you found someone to help you walk along. Have you ever been watching a football game and seen a, one of the players hurt his leg and the Players laying on the field writhing in pain and the doctors, the, the trainers come and they attend to him and then what do they do? They, they get him up and you got one on one side and one on the other and this ball player's got his arm around one on this side, his right arm around one and his left arm around another and he's got that, that foot 
or that leg uh, held up and he's not putting any pressure on his feet. They're literally carrying him. He can't walk. And he's trusting those two men to get him from the field where he lay to the sideline where he can get attention. That's what it means to trust the Lord. You're trusting right now, every one of you. You've committed yourself to the pew where you're sitting in such a way that there's nothing holding you up from hitting the floor except the pew. And that's how you trust God. Trusting God means, having faith in God means that you commit your day, your life, your family, all that you are and have to Him in such a way that He is the only thing separating you from disaster. Is that the kind of faith you have today? Not only did Asa face this enemy with dependence and humility and with faith, but he also faced this enemy with courage. I love this. You know, courage is a a Christian virtue we don't hear much about these days. Look there in verse 8, it says, In all that, he said, There's none besides you, O Lord, Uh, that'll help us in this fight, but we trust in you. And look at it. He says, in your name we've come against this multitude. All right, Lord, I'm trusting you, uh, and you're the one that's going to have to fight the battle, but I'm coming and I'm going to take up my position for the fight. Courage. You have spiritual courage. I I think courage is, is a wonderful thing. Not much courage going on in this world today. Certainly not much courage in this country with our leaders today. I tell you, now I don't know how you feel about it, and I hope I don't offend you. But I loved listening for the first time In seven years, I loved listening to a man who would stand in the hall of our United States legislature with courage. I loved watching that last week. Prime Minister Netanyahu is a man of courage. You may agree or not agree with who he is or what he stands for. I'm going to tell you one thing. Whatever else you can say about him, That man ain't afraid of you. He ain't afraid of me. He ain't afraid of nobody. I like that. I wish we had more of that in Washington today and in Atlanta today and in Montgomery in my home state. Dear God, I wish we had it in Alabama. People who'd stand up against Moral depravity rather than giving in to it. Bowing down to it. Let me tell you about courage. Aristotle said courage is the greatest quality of the mind next to honor. Mark Twain, I love this. Mark Twain said, Courage is not the absence of fear, but the mastery of fear. That is good. Not the absence of fear, but the mastery of it. I I don't know who Arthur Kessler is. You may have heard of him. I I have no clue who Arthur Kessler is. K-O-E-S-T-L-E-R. Never heard of him, but here's what he said. He said, courage is never letting your actions be influenced by your fears. Whoever Arthur Kessler was, that was a good statement. Courage is never letting your actions be influenced by your fears. But my favorite, my favorite saying about courage comes from an eminent theologian and philosopher, John Wayne. And John Wayne the Duke says, courage is being scared to death but saddling up anyway. That's courage. Scared? Yeah. 
facing something that you're likely not to come back from? Yes. I, I was watching last night on TV a show called D-Day in Color. Have y'all ever watched any of that on the History Channel? Or the Military Channel? D-Day in Color. And they were talking about D-Day, and they were talking about the Point du Hoc Raiders. The ones that, that came, there was, a, there was a big gun or series of guns on this elevated place called Point du Hoc, and they felt like that if they could get that place and secure those guns, then it would, it would allow the, uh, the invasion, the D-Day invasion, to make enough progress where it would be a success. And the, the raiders were uh, flown in there, they parachuted at night, and their, their job was to climb a, a sheer cliff, a cliff, and get to this point, do hot, get to this place, and uh, take those guns. And every one of them, I was listening to them, they were, they were uh, Americans, they were Englishmen, and they were saying, you know, we knew that this was a suicide mission. We knew we would probably not come back. But they did it anyway. Courage is being scared to death, but saddling up anyway. Doing your duty. Doing what you know is right. Courage. You know what God has to say about it? We've heard from everybody else. What about the Lord? Joshua 1.9 God says, Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You and I don't have to be afraid. When we face our enemies, we don't have to cower with fear because the Lord our God is with us wherever we go. So if you'll face your challenges today with the same kind of of, uh, actions that Asa did, if you'll face your challenges with dependence upon God and humility, faith and courage, Guess what? You'll overcome. And that leads me to my final point. And that is this. When we fight the battle God's way, He wins the victory and we get the spoils. I want you to look at something in verse 12. Look at that. The Lord routed the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah. And the Ethiopians fled. And then later on it says they were shattered. The Ethiopians were so so beaten they could not recover. They were shattered before the Lord and before His army. And the, the army of God, the people of God carried away much plunder. You know, God is so good to you and me. He's good to us. When we obey Him, when we face the enemies of our lives on His terms, then He fights the battle, He wins the victory, and allows us to enjoy the spoils. We get to strut around like we did something. We get to to walk around and speak to the devil like we have some kind of authority over him. We get to look at those battlefields and see the battle and think as though we had something to do with the victory. He gives us the spoils. What does that mean to you and me in practicality? Well, I want to ask you a couple of questions, and then we'll be finished. Now remember, we faced the enemy. We faced our great challenge. We faced it with dependence and humility and faith and courage, trusting Him with a life sold out, no rivals, no nothing that, that, that's uh, uh, interfering with our walk. We're obe- seeking to obey God with all of our lives and all of our hearts. And we face this challenge, and we've won a victory. Let me ask you this. Do you love the Lord? Do you love God? Uh, I mean, have you ever practiced love in your life? Is there anybody in your life that you really do love? Is there? I hope so. Well, do you know how you can love? How, how-
How can you love? You are a wicked, vile, ungodly sinner at heart. Do you know that your nature is corrupted by sin? How in the world can you ever love anybody in the truest sense of the word? You say, oh preacher, I love my mom, I love my daddy, I love my children, I love my brother, I love my sister, I love my wife, I love my husband. Do you know how you love? The Bible says it's because God won the battle and He gave you the spoils. In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 19, it says, We love because He first loved us. He won the battle and you get the spoils. Have you ever experienced real peace? Do you know what peace is like? I mean, you've been in a, a storm in your life. I, I'm talking about the, the, just the walls are tumbling down and, 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 and crashing in all around you. Things are just, you don't know how uh, things are going to hold up. And yet, have you ever experienced what the Bible calls peace that passes understanding? You know, in the midst of all of that storm, you're just standing there and going, you know what? I have an absolute confident assurance that I'm in God's hands and, and He is going to see me through this. So I'm not panicked. I'm just walking. Have you ever felt peace? Some of you may have. Do you know how you could feel peace in the midst of any kind of storm? God won the victory first for you and gave you the spoils. Listen, Isaiah 53, 5 says that the chastisement for our peace was upon Him. That is the Lord Jesus. Do you know how you can know peace? It's because Jesus paid the price on the cross so that you could experience peace. He won the battle. You get the spoils. Have you ever found yourself facing a battle in your life, you're in the midst of a spiritual battle. I mean, it, it, is, it is tough. It's hot. It's life or death. You feel like, man, I'm struggling here. I've got a life and death struggle. It's like something wants to kill me. And if I don't win, if I can't get the upper hand, I don't know if I'll survive. You ever been in one of those battles? Well, have you ever won? You ever overcome? I've shared this with Perimeter when I was your pastor. Um, about 25 years ago, 30 years ago, I was in a battle for my spiritual life. I was in a battle for my ministry life. I was in a battle probably for my physical life because I was addicted to pornography. And I can remember when I finally woke up and I finally got desperate enough for God and said, Lord, I've got a problem. I need you. Uh, there's none but you who can help in this battle between the powerful and them who have no strength. And I was crying out to God on a daily basis and I was in a battle. I'm telling you, there were days I woke up. Nobody knew it. I didn't have sense enough to share it with anybody. I didn't tell my wife, obviously, until afterwards. I was in a struggle for my very life, and I knew it. And for a year, I struggled every day for a solid year, probably more than a year, and it was so horrible. But I remember the day when I got victory. I experienced victory. I, I, I overcame. God broke the chains that were binding me to that that wickedness where I could not help myself and I had no hope for overcoming. But God broke those chains and I remember that day and I had victory. It was because I was a pastor. I was a faithful pastor. And that's why I got victory. Shoot, that ain't right. Well, it's because I'm a good guy. You know, I'm not perfect, but I'm a pretty good guy. Compared to a lot of folks, I'm a real good guy. So I, I'm a good guy and I, I have good 
I have good motivations. I, I, I have good intentions. And the Lord knows my heart. And I wanted to be free. And I wanted to do right. So that's why I got the victory. Because, you know, I, I'm a pretty good guy. That ain't right. You know how I got the victory? <laughs> God won the battle. He just gave me the spoils. You know what the Bible says? In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 57, it says, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He won the battle for me. And He let me enjoy the spoils. The spoils were freedom, liberty, and usefulness. So my dear friend, I want to ask you today, are you in a spiritual battle? Are you facing a challenge in your life? How are you facing that enemy? Have you got an army of a million with 300 chariots bearing down on you? Does it feel like you're looking at an invincible foe today and you don't know how you're going to make it? Well, I encourage you to face your foe like Asa faced his. I encourage you to take these spiritual principles and apply them to your life. And I'll tell you what will happen. It may not happen overnight, just like it didn't happen for me overnight. But if you'll be, stay faithful, you'll keep, you'll just stay on the battlefield and you'll hold your, your ground and you'll, you'll continue to stand your post. God will give you the victory. He'll win the victory for you. And He'll let you enjoy the spoil. Would you bow your head just for a moment? You may be here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus as your Savior. And if that's the case, then today is the day of salvation for you. Now is the time for you to hear the voice of God as He's speaking to you and drawing you to Himself. The voice of the Holy Spirit convicting you of your sin and your need for Jesus. And now is the time for you to respond to Him with faith and surrender and obedience. And I'm inviting you to call upon the name of the Lord this morning so that you can be saved. I'm calling on you to put your faith and trust not in a church, not in a man, not in a prayer, not in a preacher, but to put your faith and give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ who loved you and laid down His life for you at the cross and was raised from the dead by the power of God so that you would have the Resource, you would have the pathway, the way for your sins to be forgiven and for your relationship to God to be established. So, would you call on Him by faith right now? Would you just cry out to Him? I don't know what's in your heart, but He does. Just cry out to Him Lord Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I'm sorry. I see all my sin. I, I'm glad I, I see you for who you really are today and I see myself. And oh, I know I don't deserve anything but to go to hell. Jesus, thank you that you died for me. Thank you, Jesus. I, 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 there's no way that I can save myself. You're the only one, Jesus. Save me today by faith. I, I, I'm trusting you, Jesus. I'm giving myself to you. Let that be the attitude of your heart. Call on Him in faith and surrender today. In just a few moments, we'll have an, a time where you can go and meet the pastor in the foyer and you can express your decision to Him. What God has done in your life today, you can share it with Him or one of the staff members. It is important for you to obey God. If you're here today as a Christian and you're walking through one of those struggles, God's just spoken to your heart about how you have faced your enemy. Maybe you faced your enemy with pride and ego and self. 
you've just given in. You don't know anything of that victory, but today you want to make it the first day of a brand new era of victory in your life. Well, would you pray? Would you just seek God today? And would you put to practice these spiritual principles? You can begin right now, right where you're seated. I'm going to pray and then Brother Brian, I'm going to hand it over to Brian and he'll lead you and direct you in however you need to respond. Father, thank you. Thank you for your presence and for your blessed voice that speaks to us by your Spirit from your Word. Lord, I pray that whoever's here who needs Jesus, who is lost and destined for a sinner's hell, an eternal separation from you, oh God, I pray that that person would draw near to you and would cry out to you in faith today. And trust you as their Savior. And those per- persons here today who are just crying out to you as your children, saying, Lord, I-, I need to be like Asa. I need to take these spiritual principles and apply them to my life. I pray that you would give them your grace and your favor and your victory today in whatever they're dealing with in their lives. Lord, we love you and we're listening for your voice. Speak in Jesus' name. Right?